Welcome to the Lodges Podcast. This is a gaming and esports podcast where we host business professionals, pro esports players, streamers, and others who are working in the industry. This is episode 44 with Landon Gorbenko, who is a mental performance consultant up in Toronto. Um, we had a really great conversation talking about everything that he is doing to work with esports professionals on the psychological and mental side of things. Um, this comes at a perfect time if you've been keeping up with the last couple of episodes we've actually spoken to two other professionals who work in the health and wellness portion of the industry so we've talked with bryce brown who is the director of esports over at mamba sports academy doing some really great work with players we've talked with drew schwartz who is an esports chiropractor um had really great conversations with him uh last week i believe so uh, this conversation with Landon comes at a perfect time because we're kind of capping, talking about all these different topics within the health and wellness portion of gaming. Um, so with him, like I said, we dive into the mental side of things. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy the conversation and hopefully you've grabbed a lot of education from having all three of these guests kind of in the same uh, time frame. Uh, so before we jump into everything, I do want to read a five-star rating off of Apple Podcasts. Um, and this, uh, this review comes from OG King Kurt, who is the GM and head coach of the Brooklyn Nets NBA 2K team. Uh, so shout out, Kurt. He says, I love your podcast. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to come on and shed light about the NBA 2K League and my journey. Keep up the great work. Uh, no problem at all, Kurt. I appreciate you coming on, man. You did an incredible job as well. Um, so shout out to him. Uh, that is actually our last five-star rating on Apple Podcasts that we had left to read. So if you're listening and you want to interact with the podcast, you want us to read your review live on the next episode, get on there, drop a five-star rating, let us know what you're thinking, any suggestions, questions. Uh, I'd be happy to hear them and, and share them on the show. But with all that being said, that kind of takes care of all the housekeeping before we jump into this episode. So like I said, episode 44, hope you guys enjoy it. This is The Lodges Podcast up next. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Lodges Podcast. I am your host, Juan Rodriguez. Super excited for each and every one of you guys that are tuning in to check out the show. Today's episode is episode 44. Uh, we're climbing up there almost to the 50 mark. And with us, we have Landon Gorbenko, who is a mental performance consultant up in Toronto. Landon, what's going on, man? I'm super excited to have you on. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, too. Ready to talk some esports and all things about it. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have fun with it. Um, yeah, we are. And and I kind of want to preface before we hop into it at the beginning of this. So, and I know I had talked to you about it. Why I wanted to have have you on kind of right now is we've had two past guests. We've had Bryce Brown. We've had uh, Drew, and they've kind of been on the same part. You know, kind of working in the health and wellness, but on different little parts of it. And and you're kind of now on the mental and the psychology part of it. So. For all you guys listening, you kind of got three really great professionals that are kind of grouped into episodes near each other. So listen to all three of them. You'll probably get a really good education around it all. Um, but Landon, to, to kick it off, if you just want to take a couple of minutes and let everyone know kind of your background story, where you're from, what you do in the industry, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. So. I'm one of those traditional, like, classic esports guys that grew up in it, watching everything. Um, I really kicked off with, you know, like, the traditional, like, Halo and Call of Duty. But um, as time went on, I got really hooked into League of Legends. And 
I've pretty much been watching esports since the day it was around. Um, but with with that being said, I didn't really ever perceive a career in it. I went to college. I was starting my psychology degree. I was just going to be a counselor, you know, like a, a normal psychologist or therapist. That was kind of my path that I was aiming for, and esports was my hobby. Uh, somewhere down that line, I kind of had uh, this quick panic moment nearing the end of my degree, where I was like, "Oh, oh I don't want to. I don't want to be a counselor. I don't want to do that. That's not my career path." And so I started hunting down all sorts of different kinds of jobs within the psychology domain. So. I was talking to forensic psychologists, neuropsychologists, psychiatrists, like you name it. I was talking to them, trying to get a feel for what I wanted to do in the industry. Uh, a little ways down that road, I met a lady. Uh, she works in sports psychology and she works with the Canadian Olympians, specifically like the Winter Olympians. And I called her up and was like, hey, I would love to steal some of your time. I don't know what I want to do with my life. Can I come listen to just what you do? And she was more than happy to. We had coffee and uh, she kind of broke down sports psychology, like what she does with athletes, how she does it, uh, and so on, stuff like that. I fell absolutely head over heels in love with the industry. I was like, that's what I want to do. Here we go. Let's go. Um, and so most people in my field, they go traditional sports. That's kind of the route, right? So right. I, I applied for my master's. I got into a performance psychology master's at the University of Edinburgh. Did my programming, loved it. Uh, I found something kind of strange while I was there too. Everybody was sport jocks, right? I was the one guy hiding this huge, huge love for esports, and I was this <laughs> massive nerd on the inside. And uh, we'd we'd start doing some of our research projects, right? And uh, uh, we'd have to go tell our professor like what we're doing, our topic, lay out how we're doing the research, and so on. And so I'd go to his office, and I'd I'd sit down, and I'd be like, hey, uh, and I'd be kind of like nervous, like shaking my voice, be like, hey, uh, hey, I want to do uh, research on esports, and I was terrified of how he was going to respond because um, he's he's traditional sports jock, right? Right. Uh, and he loved it. I was floored. He loved. It. He's like, I've heard about esports. I know nothing about it. Let's do this. He was like extremely supportive of that. Um, that was kind of my first step into the esports industry. So then coming out of my master's, once I was done graduating, I moved back home because I was over in Scotland. I moved back to Western Canada. Um, and I was starting to dive into the field a little bit, working with some traditional sports. And I went and I had a chat with that lady that kind of pushed me in this direction. And I was like, hey, what do you think about esports? Do you think I can make a career out of this? And again, I was a little bit nervous because esports comes along with a little bit of stigma, right? Like that's, right. Um, there is like, what is this? Is this real? This is just a waste of time. And I was a little bit nervous that that was going to happen again. Uh, much to my surprise, she was all supportive. She she gave me that final kick in the ass to to really pursue that career. And um, uh, I don't know if people are familiar with, but Western Canada doesn't necessarily have a great esports scene. So. Uh, with that advice from her and my passion for esports, I really had to make a decision. It was either stay in, stay in Calgary, where I'm from, do traditional sports, or pull the trigger, move somewhere, get esports going, which is how I ended up in Toronto, because Toronto is uh, one of the bigger destinations for esports in Canada. Um, but yeah, that was I just full committed. Everything I do now is esports related. I eat, sleep, and breathe it. If I'm not up working in it, I'm researching it. If I'm not researching it, I'm playing it. If I'm not playing it, I'm watching it. If I'm not watching it, I'm networking with other people in the industry. Like it, it is my life because I love it so much. Uh, but yeah, that would, that's just kind of like a, a quick rundown of my path. I degree in psychology, master's in performance psychology, and uh, an unbelievable passion for esports industry. So I kind of can merge that degree with my passion and, and create a career of a mental performance consultant in esports. 
Yeah, I remember we talked last week. We, we were both talking about how kind of like it's it's 24-7 now if we're not learning about it or networking <laughs> yep. about it or watching yep. it or we're playing it. Um, my wife came home today because I'm working from ha- the house and, and she came home for a lunch break and she saw me watching Twitch and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm just on my <laughs> lunch break. Like like when I eat, I just turn it on to, you know, have it on in the background. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. But nice. Okay, okay. So hopefully that gives everyone kind of a, a bit of context of, you know, who you are. Um, I really just want to dive into it. I know there's a lot of different things we want to talk about, and I think that there's a lot of interesting work you're doing and, and a lot that people can learn from it. So um, I think a good place to start is just how do you kind of walk us through when you're training or working with a professional esports player? You know, what's your approach and what's your process for work with working with them? Yeah, it, so the process, it is pretty unique. Uh, depending on the player that I'm working with, right? Everybody has different needs. Everybody has different issues. Uh, different things are holding different people back. So um, it is different for every player, but as a rough framework, what I do is, let's say you are one of my uh, my clients coming in to work with me. Our first session is really like, a, let's get to know each other. I can't help you until I understand you. And you won't want to learn from me until you like me, right? Like we have to build that rapport and I have to understand you in order to know what we're working on. Mm-hmm. So at first, even sometimes it takes a couple sessions. It really depends on how fast somebody warms up to me. Um, but yeah, it's I, I call it my needs assessment period. So it's when I'm trying to learn about what you're struggling on. And a lot of time players, they know what they're struggling on. I don't have to tell them. They just don't know how to solve it. So uh, I just listen to them, really. Like, that's that's what it is, is uh, what's bothering you or what's holding you back. What do you think your issue is? They'll tell me, and boom, there we go. Instead of trying to solve something for them that I don't know, they've already told me what they need help on. So um, that first process is really about nailing down what do you need, and let's get to know each other, if that gotcha. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, moving, moving on from that point, once we kind of understand the issues that you're struggling with, um, I have just uh, a full library of tools on my laptop that I use uh, of like different strategies or techniques. So um, whether it's performance anxiety or communication issues, which, by the way, communication issues will be uh, one of the top issues in esports. That's one of the things that I deal with uh, <laughs> almost on a daily basis. Just it's it's one of the big issues. Um and then we just kind of we work from there. Uh, it's a stepwise kind of process. I, I make sure that I do what I call expectation management with everybody. And I explain it like if you're a League of Legends player, right? Let's say this is your first game playing League of Legends ever. You can't get to Challenger or Grandmaster overnight. It's not going to happen. You can't do it in a week. It takes seasons. It takes practice. It takes grind. You got you to gotta be very effortful about getting to Challenger. It's the exact same way with the mental skills and the sports psychology side of things. I There's no magic word that I can say to you that's going to be like, boom, you're fixed. Go out and never get tilted again. It's a process. It's a skill thing. And you got to you gotta be very mindful and effortful about that process. Like if, if you work with me one week, I'm not going to solve your, your anger issues in that one week. It's going to take months, right? Right. And so that's kind of like the, uh, the expectation management side of it is that it's a process and it's going to take time. So don't get frustrated if it doesn't fix in two weeks. We'll be okay. We'll continue working. That's kind of like uh, a very rough outline of what I do again, just because <laughs> everybody's <laughs> a little bit nuanced and a little bit different. But the needs assessment, expectation management, make them understand that this is a long process. It's going to take time. And then we really dive into the different kinds of strategies and tools that they need to solve their specific issues. Yeah, I'm. 
I'm curious, do you, is it like when, when you got, when you're working with them, is it, is a lot of it in person or is a lot of it remote? Like, and, and you guys can just set up calls and stuff or how does that work out? Yeah. So coming into esports, right? Like, um, traditional sports, everything is face to face. Almost everything is face to face. You're on, you're on the field, you're on the pitch, you're, um, in the alley, wherever it is, you're with them in person. But in esports, when I, when I made that transition, I committed to it. I found out very quickly that a lot of my work was going to be done online. Um, and that, that in itself is a pretty big adaption process because so much of communication, like whether I'm trying to read an athlete or the athletes trying to understand me is done through body language. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking online, um, you got to be much more deliberate with your words because you have to make sure that they're getting the full message because they're missing your body language. So you have to make sure that uh, what you're So a lot is online. And I was kind of curious about why people didn't want to meet in person or why it was this way at first. Um, I think I've kind of kind of figured out the answer to that. Um, and it's largely because a lot of teams, they're spread apart. Like um, I know there's some like professional Dota teams who uh, make millions of dollars a year, but none of them live in the same country. So uh, how do you work with a team that nobody's around the same place? You have to do it online. So you have to adapt to what the industry and the ecosystem allows. So um, being a sport in the sports psych side of things and the mental performance consultant, if I can't figure out a way to be effective with players online, then I can't make it in the industry. I have to be able to learn how to be effective despite not having a uh, face to face. Yeah. And that's actually really interesting. I had never thought about the fact that you might have to do that communication virtually, which I can imagine if, if you're, you know, if you're someone coming from traditional sports and you're trying to, you know, now do this in esports. I can imagine that. Uh, I don't know if you call it a learning curve or just like, you know, the application of, of working with your clients. I imagine has got to be tough. Um, yeah. You know, traditionally how your mind, because I get what you're saying. Like, you know, if you're working with somebody, typically it'd be physically. You can read their body language. You can kind of have that more I- intimate conversation because you're in person with one another. So I can imagine how that could be tough. Yeah, and it's. Um... Oh, I lost my train of thought there, but it's, it's, oh, where was I going with it? What, what was the question again? What was the start of the question there? Um, was like, if you're working with them, uh, remote compared to working with them physically in person and kind of the learning curve that there is, you know, coming from traditional sports oh, and right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, if I, if I'm sitting with an athlete who's in front of me, right? Like, and they say, uh, everything's fine. I'm not doing bad. Everything's going well, but I can tell that their body is tense. I can tell that things are happening. I don't get that online. Uh, so I have to find ways around that. I have to kind of poke and prod and uh, get them to open up a little bit more. So it's definitely a completely different, uh, different environment. And I often joke with people that coming into the esport industry, it's extraordinarily competitive. Like you have to really pay your dues, build your network and get there. And coming into it, I was a little bit ignorant and I thought that I'd just be able to get up there because I know esports and I know sports psychology. Um, but now I joke with people, I'm like, if I would have got that, if I would have got a job with Cloud9 or TSM or Excel or whoever it might be right off the bat, I would have ruined my career because I would have built such a bad reputation for myself because I didn't know how to handle that yet. I didn't have the skill to work with people online. I didn't know how to interact with the esports community uh, the way that they needed to be interacted with. I do know I do know that those things now, and so I can be an effective practitioner. But if I would have got with a big team right off the bat, I probably would have made a lot of errors and a lot of mistakes and just built a terrible reputation for myself. So uh, <laughs> I joke that it's good that I've had this time to really hone my skills, work with some teams and players that uh, 
although I always try to be as effective as possible, I wouldn't be as effective with them because I'm new to it, right? And so um, over time, I've learned all those skills, and now I'm getting much, much better at it. Yeah, no, no, no. I can definitely understand that. Um, to dial down on two of them, you know, I really want to kind of jump into two of them. One of them is the performance anxiety, and then we can also, you know, communication would actually be interesting to hear about. But we can start with performance anxiety. Um and I don't know if you think this is a good starting point or whatever your thoughts are, but, you know, explain maybe for everyone listening the difference between competing, you know, at home and and climbing, you know, grinding the rank ladders while you're at home compared to going to a land tournament, being in front of a crowd, being in a competitive environment. You know, where do you see the struggle with some of the players you work with when they go from being at home to then having that first or, or even numerous opportunities to compete in person? Yeah, so I think I think performance anxiety is the perfect place to start, actually, because uh, how I said communication is a big issue. Performance anxiety is another one of the top contenders for uh, most felt feelings among esport athletes. And I'm going to take it a little bit of a step back and explain why that is or why I think that's one of the biggest issues. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I'm going to compare it to traditional sports a little bit as well. So in traditional sports, you have a a development series essentially where you grow up in the competitive environment whether it's like a, a kids rec league and then um under u12s or your junior high team or your senior high team collegiate team you have this uh competitive step ladder that you're slowly slowly climbing up and um I was talking to someone earlier today and I was explaining like when you're when you're 12 years old and your parents are at your soccer game there's you your team and then everybody's parents are sitting there. So you have a whole bunch of eyes on you at an early age. You're getting used to that pressure of people watching, even though no parents really care about it. It's like they're watching you. You're getting exposed to that environment. And then as you get older and older and older, the, those kind of uh, pressures grow a little bit. You're getting more used to it. Your coaches and your support staff are teaching you how to deal with performance anxiety. They're teaching you how to, to handle all these different like losses or, or what have you. Um, but then when you jump over to esports, you have people who they haven't had the opportunity or the um, the experience with that kind of stuff. So they haven't had the support structure, whether it's uh, their parents don't appreciate or approve of esports. They're not helping you learn or you don't get that coaching staff to help you handle performance anxiety or how to handle a loss or um, anything along those lines. So esport athletes, they go from playing solo queue, ranked ladders, maybe with their buddies to we're now on a stage. And even if that stage is only being watched by 10 people, say it's a small LAN event, those 10 people add a lot of pressure because you've never been in that before. So immediately you now have eyeballs on you and you've never had that before. How do you cope? You're probably going to start getting a little bit of adrenaline rush. Your hands are going to get a little bit shaky. You're going to start thinking about what people are thinking about you. And essentially there's performance anxiety for you. And now your brain is kind of clogged up with all this unimportant information and all this unimportant physiological reaction. And so how do you handle that? That's kind of why esports athletes have so much performance anxiety, at least in my opinion, is really just the exposure to it and, and not being taught the, the skills to deal with it from an early age. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. Sorry. Oh, sorry go, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to dive into like, some things that I'll do with people to try and work on that. Um, that that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, there's like, before you go into a, a tournament, right, you're getting that big adrenaline rush, even though it's not a physical sport, you're getting hit with adrenaline, you're getting hit with cortisol. Um, it's essentially like everybody says that you're fight and flight response. Um, but then you go and you sit down in front of a computer for three hours. What's happening with all those hormones and all those those body juices that are just kind of bubbling around you. They're just kind of sitting, sitting there in your body stagnant. 
and you're just it's just kind of hurting yourself it's it's not allowing you to focus because you're just too hyped up so one of the things that i help to reduce that is say say we have a group three apex players and they're all 15 to 17 years old they're all getting performance anxiety before we go in i'm going to crack out a soccer ball or a football and we're going to have some very very light exercise i don't want to fatigue them but i want to get them moving um the reason being is all these hormones that are flooding them from all this performance anxiety their purpose essentially is to make you move and make you fast right and so to utilize them and to get them to kind of calm down you got to start moving start start got it you got to start being active so if we get you playing a sport or doing some jumping jacks or just doing a light jog around the block mm-hmm. our body can start kind of metabolizing metabolizing and utilizing all those hormones and it also with the addition of taking your mind off of what is about to happen. So you're doing kind of like killing two birds with one stone here. By the time you're done that and you're on stage, you haven't had time to think about all the people that are going to be watching you and you've been burning off all the those excess hormones have been flooding you. So it's it's almost like a the perfect way to handle performance anxiety, um, at least from like a physiological perspective. Yeah, no, that's 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 interesting actually i never i'm like processing how you said all that and that's interesting because so like i've told you when we talked like i struggle with anxiety just in general like i've i've suffered with panic attacks since i was younger and as you were just saying all that though it's not related to esports i'm kind of understanding what you're saying because when i have an anxiety attack if i'm sitting still it makes like extremely worse like i want to move like i want to get up for a second like and i had never realized that it's actually like you're explaining where it's building up and if you don't move and and create that movement a little bit then it's you know i guess worse i guess you could say um yep so that's really interesting yeah because everything inside of you at that point is is designed to make you move right and if you're forcing yourself to sit there it's just building up and the tension is getting bigger and the anxiety is getting worse because everything in you wants you to move and it was even even to the point where i was talking with a professor um of a university and he's like before my tests i pretty much require my students to do some kind of light exercise so they get in the room and i make them run around a bunch or i make them do jumping jacks or whatever it is he's like it's because so many kids or students are anticipating this intense test and it's causing them anxiety and that's going to make them do worse. But if I can get my students up and moving and get them a little bit of exercise, they're putting to use all those hormones that are flooding them so that it's not impacting their performance. Hmm. So it even yeah. it even outside of esports, like it works for for taking tests or whatever, whatever other kind of situation you can think of. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's really interesting. Okay. That's cool. Um, what, I guess maybe you're I don't know if you have any examples, but say you're working with somebody that maybe hasn't gone through all this or understands how to approach a land tournament. What are some of the common like emotions that players will come to you with that they're feeling prior to maybe having played in that first land tournament, or maybe they haven't gotten any, you know, work with somebody for approaching land tournaments. Is it just like a lot of jitters or like what is what does that conversation look like when they come to you yeah jitters jitters is probably one of the biggest one um you know what it, it's kind of strange too because i'll often get people that they're trying to build up hype too as well right like they're coming in a tournament and they want to win it so they're trying to get excited they're trying to jump up mm-hmm. and down they're trying to scream which is awesome i love it when i love it when teammates start like yelling and doing like a haka pretty much um <laughs> i love it i love it it's great it's it's yeah. really good for team morale uh, so I actually, despite performance anxiety being a big one, 
there is still a lot of hype that comes in going into a tournament. So uh, it's kind of strange because I didn't expect this coming into the field either, but I could have somebody that's jumping around screaming all excited, but at the same time inside of them, they're feeling that anxiety. And so um, jitters mixed with hype is, <laughs> is a weird combination, <laughs> but it is, it's not uncommon to see it in, in a tournament setting. Uh, another one, and this, this is usually for when players perceive or think that the tournament is beyond their skill level or that they, and they don't always admit this, but that they're not going to win. So they'll come in with an attitude like they don't care. It's kind of like an apathy. They're like, whatever, man, I don't, I don't even care what the results are or these guys are trash. So it doesn't even matter. This tournament's a joke. Look at all this kind of thing. So it's like, they're trying to excuse away a potential failure before it even happens. And that's kind of, it's a little bit of a defense mechanism in a sense. Cause, um, if you're excusing away the results of the tournament before it even happens, if you lose, it's not that big of a blow to the to the ego, if that makes sense. So uh, that's that's another fairly common one that I run into. Okay, no, that's interesting. Is there? So I guess we've talked about you know pre the tournament kicking off or, or the land event kicking off. Is there anything that you teach them for maybe like in between matches while the event is going on? Like, and this maybe isn't now maybe so much talking about anxiety, but maybe they had like a bad match and, you know, they're like mad about it. And, but you know, they'll only got a couple minutes before the next match starts. Is there any like techniques or things that you're teaching them that if, you know, they're struggling from a mental perspective while in tournament, there's like something they could do to try to gear their mind towards, you know, uh, being more positive or kind of getting their mind out of that yeah, gutter. Definitely. So even before a tournament starts, um, I, I teach people how to do what's called a pre-performance routine. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it's it's like a big phrase and it's a very common thing within the sports psych world, largely because it just it kind of primes and conditions your your brain for an optimal play or peak performance. And what that is, and this is kind of leading into that question a little bit too. Um, yeah. What that is, it's like a a lot of people will see athletes do something and then they'll ask their athlete about that and they're like oh it's just my my um my ritual or whatever but that ritual is playing a very practical role in performance um and so what it is it's just a set of actions and thoughts that you do before before a game or practice and you do it consistently and religiously um and over time that's kind of building up um like conditioning your brain that when i do this this and this now it's time to perform. So it's triggering a peak performance and it's triggering your optimal skills because if you practice 12 hours a day for two months and then on competition day, those skills don't come out, what was the point of practicing? So this routine is to try and trigger you to get into the right mentality, the right frame of mind and really focusing on the correct information and kind of getting your your mind geared towards the game. So with the question you asked, that's almost like a pre-solution to it so this i use that to try and prevent any any um tilts or or breakdowns um but obviously even if i use that occasionally uh breakdowns or uh big shutdowns or whatever kind of tilt uh, happens it's still going to happen so um mid game i have a rule with my athletes that if anything bad happens, you are not allowed to trash talk your teammates. This is there's going to be a time where we can deal with your feelings about your teammates and how they dropped the ball or how their decisions caused caused a squad wipe. We'll have a time for you to deal with that, but it's not in the game. Like it's not between matches, it's not between rounds. You are not allowed to to essentially trash talk your teammate because what's going to happen? One, you're going to feed your own anger and you're going to make yourself feel worse. That make By making yourself feel worse, 
you're not going to play as good because you're you're focused on, on oh sorry man no you're good <laughs> um if you're angry you're not going to play as well uh secondly if you are flaming and raging at your teammates you're going to shut down your teammates they're either going to come back and fight you or they're going to withdraw both things are bad because they're no longer focused on the game so if no matter what happens in the game you are not to fight each other but on the positive side of that, like, and this is this is the strategy that they can be using in game. Like, this doesn't have to take time. Um, is you are constantly af- um, affirming your teammates. So, uh, let's say let's say we're playing League of Legends, and your support goes for play that was absolutely ridiculous, causes you to give up a, do- a double kill on bot lane. Instead of the ADC coming at the support with like, why would you do that? Bleep 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 bleep. Um, the ADC instead responds by saying, "Man, that was so close." Do you remember when you did blah, 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 but it's a very positive thing. So you're trying to build up your teammate when they do something bad. That way um, you kind of pull them away from that situation. You don't want your, you don't want your teammate to ruminate and think about what just happened. You want them to focus on the next play. So try and pull them out of it instead of uh, flaming them for it. And that's, that's one of the strategies I use in game. Cause I mean, there's loads of different things like visualization and breathing, but when you're in the middle of a match, in the middle of a match, you don't have time to close your eyes and practice breathing techniques. You really, you have to just be in the game. And so positive affirmation towards your teammates is one of the best ways to do that. Yeah, and immediately, you know, I've uh, obviously never played, you know, esports at a professional level or anything like that, but immediately I grew up playing basketball a lot and I'm thinking of like when a teammate would have a turnover, when I would have a turnover, you know, when I had good coaches, it was never like, oh, my God, why'd you turn the ball over? Like, what are you doing? It would be like, you know, clap your hands like it's straight. Like we're going to, you know, get the next play. Um, yeah. So th- that's kind of what comes to mind for me. Um, OK, that's interesting. Um, yeah. And it, I, oh, sorry. Ahead. I was just going to say I taught. Well, I didn't. I, I'll teach teams often to have a recovery phrase that um, you, you're kind of responsible and held accountable by the team to say this phrase when things go wrong. Um and I don't know if I'm allowed to, to swear, but their phrase had a swear in it. Um, and I was, no, you're they, good. Okay, cool. Um, their phrase was, shit's in the past, what's our next play? That was what they said. And that was kind of their way of saying, so like a team wipe happened. That sucks. Too bad, get over it. Uh, it's in the past. How do we recover from this? They weren't they weren't allowing themselves to think of like, what, what did we do wrong? How could we have done that better? Because that doesn't matter in this moment. The only thing that matters is how do we recover? How do we, how do we fix this? Not... What did we do wrong? What we did wrong is what we learn after the game. In the game, we focus on what can we do now. Right. No, and I think that's just teaching great competitive nature in general, right? Because I think if you look at the greatest of all time, whether you're talking about esports or, or regular traditional sports, you, you got to put those plays behind you. And, and like you're saying, that's something you go and you reevaluate, you know, post-tournament, post-game. Um but no, that's that's interesting how it works. Kind of like I, it almost, I'm like picturing it as you're saying all this. I'm like picturing, you know, watching someone go through a land tournament event um, to transition. Then I think this is a good point to transition into the communication side of it, because some of this also sounds like um, it's layering into the communication side of things is how important, you know, I actually had a tweet go out the other day and we were talking about this is. You know, and I'd love to get your take on this, even though I think I know what you're going to answer. But <laughs> how would you compare like if it was which what would you say is harder to have no communication um, in esports and, you know, pick your, whatever title you'd like to pick? Or would you say no communication in traditional sports? Uh, it, it'd be 
it would be harder to have no communication in esports. Uh, it'd be a little bit easier to have less communication in traditional sports. Is that kind of what? I yeah. Think that was what you're, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I can kind of break that down why I think that's the case. Um, if you like. Yeah. No. No. That's that's a perfect place to go with oh, it. Yeah. Sweet. Sweet. So, <laughs> in traditional sports, right? You're like you're not mic'd up. Uh, and although it's happening fast, it is nowhere near as fast as esports. Esports is on the next level of reaction and decision making and strategy. Um, plus, in esports, everybody's hooked up to a mic, so you kind of you're given the opportunity to be extremely communicative, which means so is the enemy team. So if the enemy team is be is talking a lot and communicating really really good information and strong strategy plays, and you're not you're already behind you've given them the competitive edge by not being by not being in communication with your team because you have the ability to um secondly it's just the the pure speed of the game like if you look at a call of duty call of duty match the alleged match apex match when things get heated it's happening in split seconds like you if you're looking at rugby or soccer or something like that you have these plays that are fast the ball gets uh, thrown or kicked fast and that all does happen rapidly but to dodge a skill shot or to predict a play or to steal a Baron or to, to grab that uh, split second snipe that requires a reaction time. That's beyond sports uh, or traditional sports It is on its own level. And if you're not communicating, you're going to miss those extraordinarily small windows. You always have to be on point with uh, the calls, the shots. Like if, if, if you have a shot caller on the team or an IGL, and they say to do something, and you take two seconds too long to do it, you caused your team to die, or you caught, you gave up an objective, or whatever it might be. So communication in esports is just absolutely paramount. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was I was trying to picture like you know, this isn't really esports. This is just casual gaming with friends. But, I mean, I couldn't imagine trying to play like a game of Warzone and have no communication and no callouts yeah. <laughs> as to where where somebody's at or anything like that. I mean, I feel like it'd be extremely difficult. Um, but okay, cool. I think that was great. Honestly, thank you. That was incredible information kind of on, you know, the communication side of things as well as the performance anxiety. Um, something I want to transition to now is the player, you know, and career longevity. Um, and you know, I know there's a lot of debate around, you know, how long, you know, esports players can truly last, you know, do they have short careers Do you know, how, how long are they compared to traditional sports? Um, so a lot of, a lot of different conversations you could have. Um, but one of the things that I kind of wanted to hone in on is what do you do or what are some of the, some of the techniques you do to help, um, players manage mental fatigue and, and whether that's, you know, maybe out of land tournament or grinding practices or just, you know, over the length of their career, you know, what are some things that you guys do to, to help them fight that mental fatigue? Yeah. So to first thing, um, I personally believe that the, the retirement age or the, the burnout age of esports is ridiculous. It's so early and there's no reason for it to be that low. Um, I've chatted with a few people and some people have asked me, it's like, but is there a physiological reason? Like when you hit 22, can you compete with someone who's 18 or 17? And yeah, you can like <laughs> just sort of, you can, <laughs> yeah. uh, your brain is still not even fully developed till you're 25. Uh, traditional sport athletes, they can nowadays with our proper sports medicine and training last into their forties. If, an, if, a someone in traditional sports can last their forties, so can esports. There's just no reason why. Like, um, even as you get older, like you might start losing some. Well, you will start losing some reaction time eventually. 
but the brain does a pretty pretty incredible thing where when reaction time is starting to kind of disappear a little bit your strategy planning and your decision making is increasing so mm-hmm. although you might not be reacting as fast you're still playing at the same level because you've gotten stronger somewhere else um, the game so, kind of slows down is that kind of what you're saying yeah like you just understand the game better right like if you've been yeah. you could be a 17 year old playing league of legends for two years your reaction time might be huge as compared to someone that's like 30 years old, but that 30 year old's been playing League of Legends for 12 years. Their understanding of the game is on a level you can't comprehend. So your reaction time isn't going to beat their ability to just play the game. Uh, so, anyways, that was just a little bit of a tangent. I think uh, well, that's early retirement, yeah, yeah, early retirement is a little bit ridiculous in esports, and it largely does have to do with burnout. Um, I, there's a few components to it, but burnout is a big one, and uh, that that's actually the whole reason why in my master's I wrote my entire research project and dissertation on mental fatigue, uh, just because I was I was fascinated <laughs> by it. Like, why are people retiring at 20, 21, 22? Um, and it's it's not like mental fatigue doesn't work the same way that uh, muscle fatigue does, right? Like, uh, I go to the gym, I lift weights, an hour into it, my my biceps are burnt out and i can barely lift a a empty bar it's just like your 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 muscles refuse to work because they have no energy left they don't have that source that can kind of force them to work anymore because they're they're fatigued out they're done when we think about mental fatigue it's a completely different type of fatigue um and it, it is a complicated process so our understanding of it is constantly changing so even the point when i wrote my dissertation a few years ago to now our understanding is gonna be a little bit different but it's still relatively the same where it's like Mental fatigue is more of like a a ongoing evaluation process that happens inside your brain continuously. It's always it's always doing this like cost benefit analysis. Um, so the lo- say say you're playing a game for 12 hours a day, seven days a week for three years. You've spent so much time on this game, and your brain is starting to value those hours that you put into it less and less and less and less and less as time goes on because it's it's starting to perceive the worth of this game as less um and so over time it's it's uh its role in trying to shut that down happens through things like killing your focus killing your motivation uh, making you daydream when you're playing the game, not wanting to practice, those kind of things. So it's not actually fatigued in the sense that it can't work anymore. It's fatigued in the sense that you, you've you done this task for so long and so repetitively that it your brain no longer values what you're doing and it's trying to push you, like it's doing everything it can to push you to do something else. And that's when you start losing motivation. You no longer have a passion for the game because um, instead of grinding out your Call of Duty you feel like you want to go cook burgers or you want to go see friends, right? Which are all good things, but it's because your brain no longer values that game. So that's kind of like, and again, this is a very like complex and I'm trying to keep it very simple in, in how I'm defining it. Cause there, there's a lot of nuance to this and it changes all the time. Cause it's, because it is such a uh, misunderstood <laughs> field, but um, that's kind of the essence of it. So when we're trying to, prevent burnout and we're trying to uh increase longevity of people's careers uh one of the my first go-to tasks is what i call a deliberate break right and everybody that's in the training or traditional sport world knows what deliberate practice means it's where you're practicing very mindfully and effortfully and i've kind of adopted that phrase but attached breaks to it so 
if we think about like your training day is six hours for League of Legends or whatever game you're playing, um, at the end of the day or somewhere in your day, you have scheduled a two-hour break. You have these breaks that you can rely on day to day to day to day. And it's it's almost like a religion in a sense that nothing can interrupt this. You might finish your scrim block. You go into your deliberate break. And you're like, ah, shoot, I want to go play some Call of Duty or I want to go play some ARAM with my buddies. No, you don't. You This is a religious break, right? Like you have to mm-hmm. take this. The purpose of it is to kind of refresh that evaluation process that's happening in your brain. If you continue to practice, if you continue just to play for fun, you're still on task. You're still playing in esports essentially, and you're not allowing your brain to get that refresh. So you're putting more time in. It's starting to value it less, less, and less. But if you start peppering in those breaks, like the uh, daily scheduled breaks, you got your day off a week, you got maybe a, a week every quarter off or every split, you get a two-week break or whatever it might be. You have these deliberate breaks in place so that your brain can continue to hold motivation and it's it's by the time you're done a break you should be almost like chomping at the bit to get back in the game you're like oh i can't wait i can't wait i gotta get in there i got so many great ideas right. it just it allows your brain to refresh and really um just have time away so that you don't lose motivation towards it so but then, you, oh, oh sorry. sorry sorry keep going keep going i was gonna say early on in esports when you look at the professional orgs the, the training schedules were so grueling and so brutal like people were having three scrim blocks a day of like nine hours plus expected to play in solo queue ladders or climb things like that's huge we're looking at 60 70 hours a week put in game uh it's almost no wonder that people are by the time they turn 21 22 after two years in there of that kind of schedule they're like i'm done i don't want to do this anymore i don't have motivation for the game anymore so it's not that they can't do it it's that their brain has just been pushed to the point where it no longer values playing League of Legends or Call of Duty or Overwatch. Do you think that's also kind of a change of culture where, you know, I think we, as like you're saying, as health and wellness has kind of continued to grow and more people are being aware of what they're doing, like kind of in all aspects. But do you see that in esports, that culture of maybe like, grinding 14 hours a day 365 is kind of changing to where people are understanding a bit better like you know block out like everything you just explained kind of where you know there are better ways to go about it it doesn't need to be like a grind 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 like you still want to put in high energy and high efficient work in in these different blocks of time but it's not something you need to be doing like 14 hours a day because you know in the long run like you're saying you're gonna get to the age of 21 and be like you know i don't want to do this anymore um do you kind of see that that's a change in culture education or or what are your thoughts uh it's really just a yeah change in education because um you'd you you don't know the best techniques until somebody teaches you right like if you don't if you don't learn from somebody else you're going to go through the same process that early days went on right because early days they learned all these strategies coaches and trainers and support staff have learned from that so that they can teach you so that you can avoid doing that right so you uh it's really education anybody that's coming up in esports and really wants to get into and does want to make a career you quite honestly you are almost required at this point to have somebody to teach you whether it's a mentor it doesn't have to be like a professional level coach but somebody that's been there somebody that is better than you they can teach you things that they went through that will help you get to where they are uh so education without a doubt and kind of on the silver lining of that though is that the professional scene is recognizing that the professional scenes training schedules have have dropped everybody i i'll talk to a lot of uh 
people and they'll tell me that uh, TSM or Cloud9 or or uh, CLG or whatever, they're all training 12 hours a day. And it, in, in reality, they're not anymore because they've, they've brought in the right people that know that that's not effective. That's going to burn out your players. That's going to cost you money because now you're investing in salaries, but that salary is gone because the player just fatigued out. Mm-hmm. So professionals are starting to adopt that, and it's it's wonderful because uh, when a professional organization or anything adopts a new strategy, it eventually trickles down. And uh, in the amateur scene, when I'm working with somebody, it is a process. Like it, it's very difficult to get to convince somebody that they need to take a break. I'll I'll tell them I'm like, uh, no Fortnite, no Apex for two days. Just trust me, don't do it for two days. They're like, okay, I don't want to do that, but I'll I'll trust you. <laughs> 12 hours later I get a message or I see them or I'm on Discord or something and I see playing Apex or playing Fortnite and I was like <sighs> well <laughs> I, I tried um, <laughs> so it, it is going to trickle down but in the amateur scene it's still all about I need to put hours and I need to put hours in and um, it's it just you, people in the amateur scene and semi-pro scene they need that education they need that training and it's just not uh, accessible or available to them yet yeah. No. And I think it's a fair argument, too. I mean, just like human nature for a lot of people. I mean, if you're an entrepreneur or if you're a traditional athlete or an esports athlete, when you're trying to be great at something, I think everyone's like common thinking is like, OK, let me just grind, 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 grind. And I'm not going to stop because if I stop, someone's getting ahead of me and someone's putting in work while I'm not putting in work. And I don't know. I, I know for speaking for myself that kind of like you know, growing up, that was a lot of the culture with a lot of people is like, you know, if you're not grinding, you're being weak or you yeah. know, if you're not putting in the time, then you're being soft. And and now I've obvi- obviously, as you know, the last few years have progressed, you're, like you're saying, you're kind of seeing more education come out around it. But I could understand from your point of view how that could be a, a tough thing to handle with players is because I'm sure that, you know, they just want to keep grinding because, you know, they're trying to be the best that they can be. Yeah. And and to a certain degree, you got to respect that, too, because they don't know any different. They're doing what they think is best. And right. uh, unfortunately, sometimes what you think is best is actually hurting you. But you can see that they have this drive and this motivation to get better. They're just not doing it in the right way. And that's why uh, I'm excited as esports kind of grows and develops that all of these resources will become available for kids that are coming up in esports because they'll be able to get better quicker and do it in a in a more healthy and sustainable way, which is, is awesome. And um as an example, I was working with a um, a pro player one time, and I was really trying to I was trying to learn from him as much as he was trying to learn from me. Uh, so I would always ask him questions, but like, what did you do? How'd you get here? Like, just break down your process so that I can teach people that too, right? Because you can you can always learn something from people that are in in it already, um, right? And so he was breaking down his schedule for me. And he only practiced five hours a day and he's a professional. He's getting paid a salary to do this. And he was playing five hours a day. And I was like, I know, I know kids in the amateur scene that are putting in two or three times more hours than you are. And, uh, like he, he had gotten this coaching. He'd worked with a sports psych person before. So he already knew all this and that's why he was doing it. Um, but he, he fully valued it. He's like, I make it a religion that I don't play over five hours. Like when that five hour mark hits, like I log off, I go to the gym, I go hang out with friends, I do whatever, but this is what I do to stay professional because otherwise I wouldn't be able to manage this intensity for very long. And so you can really see like, it's a shift. It's happening. It's really incredible to see. It's just, we got to get that information to people who don't know it yet. 
Yeah, yeah. So to the amateurs or, or people that are trying to get to that professional stage. Yeah, exactly. Because nobody, no amateur has the funds. No amateur or even has the funds to pay for a full coaching staff. It's just right. That's not the way esports is yet. Maybe one day, uh, it's just not there yet. So it, it's when I'm working with an athlete and they tell me they need a grind. I don't get upset, like I don't get frustrated with them because I know that they're trying to do what they think is best. Uh, they just don't know yet, and that it's all a learning process. It's all about education. No, absolutely. Do you and this, we can just talk on this real quick. Just I don't even know if this applies to you, but just I'm I'm thinking as you're talking about this. Do you like obviously you're working on them with all these different things of you know trying to improve their performance and all that. Um, do you sometimes too just even kind of act like as a fit not as a therapist legitimately, but like kind of like you know, you're there as someone to talk to that, you know, maybe they're going through something or, or they're struggling with this or that. Do you kind of play that role from time to time when you're working with these players? Yeah. And, and to be, to be straight up, uh, you're right. I'm not, you're not classified as a therapist by any means, not a psychologist. Um, but you absolutely do play that role every once in a while. Like I had a, a team going into, I think, I can't remember what game it was. I think CSGO, uh, anyways, they had a really bad showing. One of their star players was just playing awful, and like that happens. That it happened. Like those kind of things do occur. But mm-hmm. I, I still went to have a chat with him. Like, hey man, what's going on? Was it just an off day? Or like you feeling sick? Like, you, instead of blaming them for that, all you want to try and understand their world. That's how you work with them. And uh, within a few minutes of sitting down and chatting with him, I found out his girlfriend broke up with him like a day before that. So obviously mm-hmm. his mind was elsewhere. Um, and then that that just kind of opens up. You're not really being their therapist. You're just being an ear to listen to because he right. had emotions. Uh, he wasn't comfortable telling his team that because that's not what their team culture was like. It's not like a touchy-feely thing. So he didn't tell them. He didn't tell his coach because he didn't want to like get a bad reputation or anything from that. So uh, he didn't have anybody to talk to. So it ended up just be being him and I having coffee and him just venting about how upset he was about his girlfriend breaking up with him. That's That's – just the way it goes and that's completely okay yeah yeah no like you're saying just being there for them and, and kind of being ears i think is, is the, just something you gotta do sometimes because i know that you know sometimes you're on the other side of that and you just want ears and, and have someone to talk to as well so <laughs> no i could definitely yeah. see how that how that plays out in your case yeah um, yeah absolutely well, I want to talk about and kind of one of the last things we can touch on here and spend a couple minutes is you know we talked about before we hopped on here that both of us, it's important about talking about the career opportunities that there are in, in gaming and esports, you know, that you don't have to go be a professional player. You don't have to become a full-time streamer. Like, those aren't your only two avenues. Um, you know, obviously speaking to you, that's not your avenue, right? You're you're on the business side of this, doing all these things for these players. So I guess, is there any, maybe somebody listening that wants to do something similar to you or wants to get in on the health and wellness portion of the industry? Um, yes. You know, kind of what's your advice to them? Yeah, so um, you you nailed it there. Esports isn't just about being competitive. There is the the competitive professional play of esports is actually like a small portion of the esports industry, right? Like uh, you got casters, analysts, the sports psychs. The there's now starting to be professional chefs that are hired by professional teams. There's physical therapists. There's just a, an insanely wide range, uh, particularly in like programming, graphic design, game design, and uh, the business world. So marketing, uh, whatever it might be, analytics or anything along those lines. And so there, if you are wanting to get into the esports space, chances are there is something for you. Um, but the 
biggest piece of advice I can give to you with trying to get a career and a future in esports is you have to seek help. Esports is such a, a competitive and demanding field. Like there is there's a lot of kids wanting to come into it and there's a lot of people that want to make it big in esports. Um, and so you, you are competing against a lot of people for those positions. The best way that you can make yourself um, available and and qualify for those positions is go out and and volunteer your time and and talk to people. Like let's say let's say you want to get a um, a coaching job for a team or whatever. Go out. Don't don't assume that because you're a good player you're gonna make a good coach. Those they don't always translate. Go out, volunteer your time with some amateur level teams. You're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna <laughs> sometimes you're gonna cause harm to a team, but it's all about the the learning process. Uh, you really need to put in the time to learn uh, and then connect with other people in those positions. So, for myself, like I even now I've been in esports for a while. I am constantly like almost daily sending out messages to people in the performance psychology world or the performance coaching world or even the coaching world in general. And then when I land calls with them, I just fire off questions like how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you do this? Because uh, no matter how long I'm in the industry, I'm always going to learn, which means if you're new to the industry, you have a lot to learn. So uh, it's kind of like being a little bit humble and going out to find the people that are better than you and then learning from them. Um, Because really it's like experience and networking. Those are the two things that are going to make you um, viable in in esports. Yeah. And I think that's really well put. What you just said is it's experience and networking. Um, you definitely, uh, I'm 100% on board with you that you got to humble yourself. You, you, you can't come into it as you should in any career. Right. But yeah, specifically in esports, you can't come into it thinking that you've got it all figured out or, exactly. or that you know it all. There's too many moving pieces. There's too many things going on every single day. It's a, it's a always evolving industry. So yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd second that network with people, yeah. talk with people, learn from people, um, show your value at the same time too, though, as you're going throughout your, your journey when you're networking with people, you know, show them your value as well and what you've learned so far and what else you're trying exactly. to learn. So yeah, even, even for myself coming into this industry, I was one of those people that, um, was a little bit ignorant and dumb about what I could do. So I I have my master's. I worked in traditional sports for a while and then realized that I wanted to do esports. So in my head, I was like, oh, man, there's nobody in Canada that's really doing it. I mean, there is. There's a few, but, like, I'm going to be one of the first. Uh, I know there's some professional teams in Toronto. I'm going to go out, razzle-dazzle them, show them how amazing <laughs> I am, and get my career going three months, and I'll be on a professional team. <laughs> that's just that's not the way it works. It's, <laughs> it's so much more competitive. They don't necessarily care that I have a master's in, in sport and performance psychology. They care about my experience in the industry, like um, – I had to go out and I had to work with amateur teams and I have to network with people. I, every chance I get, I mean, except for right now, cause you can't go outside, but, um, I am at every major event in mostly Eastern Canada. So whether it's in Montreal or Toronto or wherever I'm there, I'm at networking meetings. I'm at, um, different kinds of tournaments or lands. I pop up at all sorts of different places because who I know is going to help me get there. And also with all the experience that I gain, like I, I was at, um, I don't remember which event it was. It might have been Adrenaline in Toronto. Um, and somebody came up to me and they're like, man, every event I see you, like I know like you're the <laughs> esports uh, performance coach. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, you're the only one that's at every single event. And it's because I want my, I want to be so good at my job that people know me before I even meet them. 
And to do that, like I have to build my network and I have to learn from the people that have gone through it already. Otherwise, I'm just a no name that's trying to to weasel my way in the top. And that's just not the way it works. Yeah, no, you got to hustle and, and and I love it. It seems like you're getting after it. I know we, this is only our second time talking, but that got me fired up. I, I, that's awesome <laughs> to hear. And I think it's a great example for anyone listening. Like that's extremely well put. Follow what Landon's saying um, and, and just put in the time and it'll work out for you, hopefully. Um, but Landon, anything else? That's kind of the last topic I wanted to wrap everything up, uh, wrap everything up with is anything real quick that you kind of want to hit back up on or anything you wanted to mention before we wrap things up here? Yeah, one thing I'd like to say is um, with kind of building on what I just said is uh, because of that process I had to go through, I am more than happy to always have conversations and help people that are wanting to get into the industry. Like I, I want to be able to help you find where you want to be. So I am always open for a message or a call. Um, if you're interested in what I do or the field I do, or even you just have a question about esports in general, uh, I, I absolutely invite everybody to shoot me messages. I'm usually fairly responsive sometimes i'm a couple days behind on getting back to messages but i will get back to you and i'm more than happy to help you with any questions that you have yeah where can they and that's a good place to put it where can they like what socials are you on and where can they find you at yeah so the two primary ones that i'm on are uh linkedin which is just landon gorbanko uh that's more of like the business kind of networking side of things so not many players on there but other people are so that's one place that i'm very active on the other one would be twitter and my Twitter handle is just at Vertex Psych or Vertex Performance. You can find me. Um, those are the two main platforms. My DMs are open on Twitter, so you, you can fire messages up to me there, or you can shoot me an ad on LinkedIn. Also, if you're interested, I, I spend pretty much half my day on Discord, so feel free to add me at uh, Vertex, hashtag 8689. Uh, small V, all lowercase, but I am also fairly responsive on there. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So any of you guys listening, um, we'll link his LinkedIn and his Twitter in the show notes. If you're listening on Apple podcasts, you should be able to click on them um, on Spotify and other ones for some reason it doesn't work. But on Apple, you can go click on them and, and it'll direct you to his socials. Um, Landon, I appreciate it, man. This was great. I think you dropped some incredible knowledge and, and education for everybody. So I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I love love doing podcasts and love chatting. <laughs> definitely. definitely. <laughs> Anything oh. esports. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, but thank you guys all for listening. If you guys were new to the podcast and this was your first episode, I hope you guys just enjoyed that. Um, and for all of you guys that are returning listeners and continuing to support, whether you're listening or interacting on the social media posts, I really appreciate all of you guys. Um, and with that being said, we'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lodges Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating if you've enjoyed this. You can find out more about Lodges by searching on Instagram at Lodges underscore financial, on Twitter at Lodges, on eFuse at Lodges, and on LinkedIn by searching for my name, Juan Rodriguez, J-U-A-N. Following on socials is the best way to be kept up to date with podcast updates and information. Thanks, and you were just listening to The Lodges Podcast.